The Wind Done Gone, a parody of Gone with the Wind. I know you've all heard about that. And uh, how it kind of, <laughs> well, it kind of put her on the map. Now, uh, I don't want to spend too much time on that. What I want to do today is ask her how she got from The Wind Done Gone, her parody novel, to this amazing new book, Pushkin and the Queen of Spades. Well, when I wrote The Wind Gone, I was working in response to a text that I thought had injured me. And when I wrote Pushkin and the Queen of Spades, I was working in response to a text that had sustained me, the work of the great Afro-Russian poet Pushkin. Empowered, you say, <laughs> at one point. That's, oh, that word. But it's, it's, it's a reasonable word. Uh, you're writing about a woman called Windsor Armstrong, this Harvard-educated African-American professor of Russian literature. But she's up against... <laughs> She's up against something, uh, those of us who have children, yes, her, her child has not turned out to be, uh, 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 what is it, uh, a member of the I Ebony Tower. He's something else, uh, an exceedingly famous pro football player. Uh, how does she deal with this situation? Windsor's a person who feels that her maternal ambitions are being thwarted. She raised her son. She named him Pushkin X after Malcolm X and Pushkin and expected him to be the sort of brilliant black, the smartest black man that ever lived. And now he's a football player about to marry a white Russian lap dancer. And she is suicidal, actually. <laughs> she is attempting the uh, narration of the book is a extended love letter or suicide note to her son. She's saying she's going to write her way in or shoot her way out. Yep, that's it. I don't know. Uh, it's interesting. Alice Randall uh, won the Free Spirit Award in 2001, and I can see why. Uh, this is a very freewheeling book. Uh, you really tried a lot of things here. Uh, let's see, you're a finalist for the NAACP Image Award in 2002, and you live in Nashville, Tennessee. This book takes place all over. Is it in any way autobiographical? It's autobiographical in the sense that the geographies of Windsor's life are similar to the geographies of mine. Windsor was born in Detroit, grew up in Washington, went to Harvard, lives in Nashville. I was born in Detroit, grew up in Washington, <laughs> went to Harvard, and live now in Nashville. I am not a profession professor of Russian literature. I did not have a child while I was at Harvard. But the themes of her life, including one of the themes of um, how to be a good mother after having had a very bad one, is a theme that I know something about personally. Yes, um, April be the cruelest month, says the son, Pushkin. Uh, how come Pushkin? Why that, uh, what is it? Why would she name her son Pushkin X? Because she was trying to um, connect him to the most brilliant black mind she knew. Virginia Woolf you know, raised that question, What? where is the film of Shakespeare, female Shakespeare? Mm -hmm. And that's answered it that she died in childbirth. Well, without Pushkin, we'd have to say, where is the black Shakespeare? That he was beat to death in Alabama cotton field. But with Pushkin, the great Afro-Russian, you have this eclipsing, brilliant mind in the West that is also black. And I think that Windsor finds that sustaining. Du Bois mm -hmm. found it sustaining. Yeah, it's... It's always good to go and, uh, you know, find your source. At the same time, in this story, you have um, the son, Pushkin, about to marry this white Russian lap dancer. Now, is that supposed to be ironic or 
<laughs> well, there is an irony. I was one just trying to imagine if you were Windsor, who's a sort of snobby Condoleezza Rice-type character, mm-hmm. who, of course, is another black woman who has a degree mm-hmm. in Russian studies, that if you were this person, what would be the worst-case scenario of what could happen? And what kind of woman would be the most undermining to you? So this is a woman who is living completely in her physicality as opposed to her intellect, a woman who is... No, seemingly not intelligent as well as not educated. So I just thought that this would be about the worst that she could imagine. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it is ironic, but it's also interesting because ultimately Windsor comes to love Tanya and realize that Tanya is an actually interesting woman. It's interesting that, uh, you know, you mentioned Condoleezza Rice. My gosh, I was reading about her the other day. Uh, uh, her opinion, of course, of uh, Tolstoy and all the other Russians, she said, oh, well, you know, those uh, silly um, Russian artists, they didn't know anything about real politics. <laughs> Fascinating, her interpretation of the Russians. Uh, anyway, a- a- at the beginning here, the mother says, Tanya, that's the Russian lap dancer, Tanya's very existence is cruelty. Thin, you can see the daylight between her thighs when she stands, and pale... There is a preternatural whiteness to her hair, a queer mixture of yellow and silver and white. She's one of those big-breasted, narrow-hipped, wayfish Amazons seldom found in nature. <laughs> Not quite a Barbie doll. Yes, Mom obviously is appalled by this woman at first. Uh, and injured by her visual presence. I think that this issue, that is a um, paragraph that black and white women have responded to strongly. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I like to explore in the book is the way to which uh, racism is a beauty injury. Yep. It's a failure to see the beauty in the women and the children of the other and the art of the other. And you know, all the in, it honors all the black women who have felt injured just simply by the presence of white classmates whose thighs are so thin that you can see daylight between them. Mm-hmm. And because... Before the G, uh, Jennifer Lopez J Lo butt became so popular, <laughs> and we're living in a land now of Beyonce, where uh, oh. poor white women are trying to go get have butt implants and oh, tell me get about their it. thighs built up. But it's all of these are beauty injuries. We need to take mm-hmm. uh, celebrate the aesthetics of individuals, and uh, Windsor comes to that place, but she's honoring that original injury. Now, your character says, you know, Windsor has to arm herself with three fingers of Cuddy Sark yeah. and half a Valium. Tell me about it. I did speak to a young a white high school student the other day who said that the white girls were low on the totem pole now at the local high school. They were not the beauty queens anymore. I said, well, but you know, one of the things that's interesting in America, and in some ways this is a novel of the aftermath of Brown, the injuries and the opportunities, but 50 years ago, 80% of the black white marriages in America were white men marrying black women. Today, 80% of the black white marriages in America are black men marrying white women. And 50% of black women who wish to get married are never able to marry once. So something is going on in the psychosexual racial dynamics of America. There are sea yeah. changes at work. I'm fascinated and I, I'm always scared to get into it because, of course, uh, being politically correct is. Well, it's a snag, especially um, for white females. I, I don't know. We talked earlier about how gender trumps race, but that is such a complex argument. It could go on all night. Uh, I was thinking here, you make a an arc from Pushkin to all Tupac. the way to Tupac. And I wonder, first of all, would you explain that and then read us some of your rap poem, um, The Negro of Peter the Great? <laughs> well, I think there is a tradition in the West of the Afro-Western tradition is an arc from the Afro-Russian 
Pushkin to the Afro-American Tupac with steps at W.E.B., Du Bois, and Langston Hughes in between, Mm -hmm. and that it is a long tradition, a poetic tradition, and it's a tradition of renovating language with the language of the street renovating literary language, because that's exactly how Pushkin, the poet, transformed literary Russian. He infused it with folk tales, folk mythology, folk rhythms, folk rhymes. That is the same kind of um, renovation that Langston Hughes mm-hmm. and others have attempted in the English language. Most and of the black writers, yeah, in America. Exactly. And I think that um, Windsor steps out of her ebony tower. She loves the Afro-Russian Pushkin, but she has a hard time uh, being connected to the folk rhythms of our day, uh, which are the urban street rhythms of rap and hip-hop. But she finally steps out of the Ebony Tower to translate. Pushkin wrote an unfinished novel, The Negro of Peter the Great. His original novel is full of uh, both black glamour. You see a man, a black man in the court of Paris, but it is also full of sexual self-loathing. He, this black man's uh, white fiance, faints every time she looks at him because she is so. Uh, disgusted by his mm-hmm. thick lips and kinky hair. Unfortunately, that's a description Pushkin would have made of his own mm-hmm. self. He actually died in a duel because he didn't think his white wife was actually faithful to him uh, because of his thick lips and kinky hair. He didn't finish, he didn't finish the novel. Windsor... That's the Othello uh, yes, he has a symbolism. You know. Yeah, and Windsor finishes, translates this novel into hip-hop language for Pushkin, the language he loves, and gives it a happy ending. And I would be delighted to read Oh, it a do, bit. yes. The Negro of Peter the Great, which is, of course, Alexander <laughs> Pushkin the Great. Was it, is it great-great or great-grandson of an African slave given to Peter the Great in Russia as a present, a gift? And this is the gift, this poem is the gift of this leading character, Windsor, to her son and his wife on the occasion of their wedding. Pushkin's mama's daddy's daddy was the dark Abraham, was a brilliant stolen man. One of many, but the favorite of the czar of czars, the star among stars, was a stolen black man, was the dark Abraham. Pushkin's mama's daddy's daddy, Chris... Pushkin's great-grandpappy, in the genealogy of you, in the genealogy of me, preeminent will be the eminent Ruski, Pushkin the OG. More than Shakespeare, Milton, or Proust, more than Ibsen, Chekhov, or Faust, and the Luce, beyond Marx and Freud, an outer-sphere atmosphere of genius and void, shimmers the man who invented the modern Russian language. If you hang with me here, I'm sure I can arrange this, for you to understand black, bright bliss, a literary kiss. Now, that is how it begins, oh, and that fabulous. is where the, um, that meter is honoring the original rappers like Curtis Blow. Mm-hmm. It goes through all different kinds of rap and meters in here, you know, going through Nas and Tupac in certain ways, honoring them, homages. And at the end, it comes to something very feminine and a little bit different. Remember in the original story, the, uh, the bride-to-be keeps on fainting and is disgusted by her lover. Well, this is the morning after with the white bride in my translation and transformation of Pushkin. Sun rises and Abraham is still asleep. In the morning light she searches the body of this man that rum purchased, or so said those ignorant fools that surround French Paris military schools. His lips are rich and abundant. His hair has a kinky curl, and those man thighs make you want to be a girl. But the warmth of the color of his skin, darker than honey, softer than night, a velvet black infused with light. The little maid comes into the room, shivering sadly like entering a tomb. She leads her young lady down the hall, bathes her with water and ointments her fall, the little maid expects tears and fears, but Abraham's praises are all she hears. When he is inside of me, I can taste eternity. 
how beautiful, beautiful brown babies will be. I will birth them for the world to see. His love is my destiny as I taste eternity. As I taste eternity, yes. Just that Langston Hughes poem, she does not know her beauty. The one about seeing herself in the rivers of Africa, that beautiful poem. Love to read that on the air. I remember a friend coming back from that uh, conference. It was a woman's conference in Nairobi. And she's a very elderly woman, lived in Santa Cruz. And I said, what was the most remarkable thing uh, that you discovered, you know, on your trip to Africa? And she said, they are beautiful. I said, you mean you didn't know? She said, 400 women came out to meet the plane, singing, singing to us. Can you imagine that happening at the San Francisco airport? Mm -hmm. You know, just spontaneously they came out. And I said, well, maybe, you know, when you see black people in America, something is wrong with your your eyes, you know. She said, yes, I, I guess I have never seen uh, the beauty uh, until I was there with them for this month or two, I think she was there. But I can't imagine, I can't imagine, uh, what is it, how most people feel these days. I remember back in, when was it, um... Oh, late, late 60s, early 70s, we had the Black is Beautiful movement. Do you remember that? Yes, of course. And suddenly, everybody stopped straightening their hair, and uh, most everybody, <laughs> you know, was part of the Black is Beautiful movement. And it, it was astonishing, because apparently it, it, had, it did need to be pointed out it, to and children. They had to know. It's an important moment in our history, and it's a moment that in some ways it isn't sustained uh, you know, there was this very sad uh, psychological study of that time where black children, given a choice, would almost always pick a white doll. Yeah, yeah. But I think what's so interesting now is that I'm saying that with Tanya, that people who are willing to see the beauty in blackness, that that is the difference between them and us. That mm-hmm. those peoples, and I hope that everyone finds that multiple, <laughs> that whose beauty they, are, they can recognize and resonate to, that they are a part of those people. That is what makes them part of the us is that beauty recognition mm-hmm. of the physical beauty and the aesthetics of the culture. The pain is so acute. Uh, I remember Toni Morrison's book, uh, The Bluest Eye. I, I hardly wanted to use that in school with the young people because it was so, so painful. And uh, what is it? It was almost, it's almost a kind of soul murder. Well, it's interesting you say that because one of the things that's been reported to me, there's a professor at Wesleyan, uh, Professor Fuso, who says she was a professor of Russian literature, that she's been unable to teach recently the Negro Peter the Great to students because they are so easily injured by it and so shocked by it. Mm -hmm. And she was excited by this translation and transformation, Mm -hmm. that it sort of allowed a second text, so the text on text, that buffer and mitigate. Yeah, I would say, you know, if I were a high school teacher, I would grab this rap poem uh, this, uh, <laughs> the Negro of Peter the Great. And this, it, it reminds me, it's as much fun, um, oh, the, um, the poems of Entusaki Shange and for colored girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough. That was wild stuff to use in the classroom. I think it, it really is important for children to dramatize and act out, you know, books about problems are one thing but you know to have something that you can really act out well one of the things also i think for a high school students or anyone a student of literature that this book also is a sustained critique of the work of f scott fitzgerald and if they 
want to pursue that. Because who is the most famous gangster in American literature? <laughs> Gatsby. And when people are talking about the gangster rap of Tupac, they need to put him in that same tradition mm -hmm. that began with Gatsby, that then degenerates into Tony Soprano. Mm -hmm. And I ask us to examine the archetype of the gangster and determine and rethink it that when Fitzgerald says reserving judgment is a matter of infinite hope, it is also a matter of sliding onto a very slippery slope. And it may be the moment in our cultural history to be reclaiming some of our more profound judgments and questioning. So I think that um, when you look at Windsor's time at Harvard, it's meaningful to contrast that with Emory Blaine's time at Princeton and this side of Paradise. When you look at her glamorous parents in Detroit, think of the glamorous parents and the beautiful and the damned. And when you are uh, considering her rape, and she is raped, consider the rape of Nicole Diver in Tender as the Night. And when you, at the end of his career, uh, Fitzgerald was contemplating the importance of this emerging class of entertainers, these filmmakers, we need to contemplate in the same context of the power of a potential revolution, these emerging class of sports figures who are really 30 and 40 millionaires and often have large foundations. And why is it that we want to think of them only as street thugs in some sense mm -hmm. and physical bodies when in fact they are a class of black men who are controlling together over a billion dollars and individuals who are worth over 40 million dollars in a capitalist society that should be noted if not valued i personally am not a strong capitalist but i want to know why it is we don't even note this emerged class of black 40 millionaires it's fascinating you said it briefly crossed your mind to name your book the invincible man because yeah. football players are uniquely visible i i think it's what is it it just speaks to the depths of racism you know that uh what is it? I was thinking the other day, uh, a drug dealer as a, um, oh, shoot. Um, I was thinking, what is, um, oh, gosh, uh, not the Jets and the Sharks. Um, how do we take uh, a stereotype, you know, and turn it into poetry? Uh, we do that, and it's... it's uh, and that's, there's a difference between an archetype and a stereotype. And it's interesting as we go back and forth between invincibility and invisibility. Mm -hmm. Because in some ways, Pushkin X is invisible even to his mother. And I think the darkest thing that I'm contemplating, the lightest thing we might say, the lightest thing I'm contemplating in this book, that some, that Windsor's mother is so injured by society's perception of black people that she cannot value anything black, including her own child. Yeah, I was thinking when I first started reading it, uh, I occasionally gripe a little bit uh, about the conservatism of many of my black friends, <laughs> you know, oh, because they, you know, they seem to feel it's so necessary, you know, uh, to... Uh, what is it, to present a very scrubbed face to the world, you know? Uh, you remember... But that is a very strange... I remember, I'm a person not interested in clothing, mm -hmm. but I remember taking my child to the grocery store mm -hmm. and having someone, and my child say to me, you're the reason I pay so much money in taxes. Uh -huh. I remember twice when I was in the hospital having my child, I've been married for two years to a prominent lawyer, mm -hmm. saying, why do you do this? Why do you, And I said, do what? I didn't know what she was talking about. Mm -hmm. Have these babies you can't afford. And so it would cause you 
I am of not course. interested in clothes at all. When my child was a little girl and I was taking her out in the public, I was hyper conscious of how she was dressed so that people would not, it would challenge people's ideas that she was some kind of black street urchin and not then have them project all of that hatred onto her. I understand. And again, you know, I see why so many of my, uh, uh, Friends do, you know, take offense at what I would call the the hippie lifestyle. You know, they think that that's demeaning, and you know, they're they're still trying to present as um, what respectable. Yes, well, and that's where Windsor is. I personally have embraced my bohemian hippie. <laughs> Hippie black self. I definitely perceive and uh, laud the identity of the hippie. And it's really funny. Recently, we had an encounter at a bank, my daughter and I. We were going off to Florida to spend time in the Orthodox Jewish community in Palm Beach, actually, of all strange things. And I stopped at the bank to get some money. And I was dressed very shabbily, as um, befits me, as I enjoy to dress. And the person would not give me cash a check because she basically said you don't look like someone who could have this much money in the bank and then I asked the uh, manager I questioned this and he said well you know we've had a big he knew who I was whatever that means he said we've had a big problem with maids stealing their women's checks and my child is sitting there so offended and I said you will be lucky if you have your job at the end of this day if you can show enough illumination you may I may try to have some mercy on you and Caroline was saying oh my god I can't believe this is happening to you mommy and I said Caroline I'm so glad it happened to me I'm so glad mm -hmm. I'm dressed this way because every honest man who tries to cash her paycheck mm -hmm. at this bank, I am going to make sure that they get the service they deserve. I can insist on the service I deserve and move my money out of this bank and make that guy get fired. But that those maids, if I wasn't mistaken for a black maid, so I don't try to be conservative. I was thrilled that they mistook me for a black maid. Or maybe they mistook me for a drug dealer. I look so disheveled to them. Whoever they mistook me for, <laughs> I was given an opportunity to... Um, to implode a stereotype and stand up for the justice of other women who look like poor black women who may or may not still check. And yes. so I love that. I mean, yes, and do not judge a book by its cover and other um, other cliches, folks. I, I think maybe most or many Americans are beginning to come to the party. You know, they know enough to find out what was it I heard the other day uh, politics, someone was talking about America and saying we wanted to rule or control the world without knowing or understanding it. And I thought, isn't that interesting? That's what men do to women. That's what other, you know, um, ascending groups do to other groups. We don't want to understand or know people. We want to be able to label them and therefore dismiss them. Uh, I wanted to ask you, I think I've got just a couple minutes left. I want you to say one thing about your songwriting career, I can't believe in your 20s, you were out writing, I mean, talk about getting away from your, what is it, you, you wrote a feminist critique of Jane Austen's work for your thesis. Yes, but I, um, you bring it to politics. My greatest accomplishment, I think, in country music is, aside from, I've written a number one country song, but I wrote a song that was recorded about a man who got lynched between his wedding and his wedding reception. <laughs> and so I never wanted to preach to the uh, converted. Uh -huh. I would love to end on the first line of my book is look uh. what they've done to my boy and yes. that is Windsor's line when she's looking at her son on the television and but behind Emma. that it's Mamie Till's line yeah Amy Emma Till's uh, mother's line yeah and I think that shows a difference in America because someone said to me but these hate crimes still happen today but the difference is two things when Emmett Till was murdered. Every white lawyer in the state of Mississippi, every single white lawyer in the county in which he was murdered, offered to defend his self-avowed murderers for free. 
that could not happen in America today. And what transformed that... Is that true? That is true. And that's in Mamie Till's new book that's just been published. Look what wow. they've done to my, bo my boy. I contrast this in my first chapter to Don Corleone's line, look what they've done to my son. When yeah. And he wanted his boy's body to be varnished over to show the uh -huh. world. Mamie Till trusted that America would see in that bloated body with the eye falling out, the beauty in the boy and the ugliness in those who acted upon her boy. And she brought America a transformation with that. She bought America a transformation. Windsor, in a more complex sense, is trusting that same truth in a transformed day she's saying if her son is beautiful and lovable maybe the white girl loves him because he's beautiful and lovable not because he's rich and famous and she's trusting in true knowledge of love and true knowledge of beauty and i think that is where we have gotten to today in america because there is not a county in this country where every white lawyer who had passed the bar would stand up and defend self-avowed murderers we have let moved us, towards truth and beauty because a mother's truth and beauty. Yeah, let us hope not. Uh, I don't know. Um, uh, I don't know whether we're there yet, but we are definitely on the way. The book is Pushkin and the Queen of Spades, the novel by Alice Randall, author of The Wind Done Gone. I wish we'd had time to talk about that. That's a lot of gossip about, no, Scarlett O'Hara and uh, your parody of that novel, uh, Let's That's see. Prissy slapping Scarlet back. This one's a literary kiss. The first one was a literary slap. <laughs> oh, Butterfly McQueen, she is a trip. I was watching an interview of her the other night. Anyway, this has been Jennifer Stone, and uh, Alice Randall is on book tour. I don't think you will have a chance to see her um, in the Bay Area because this tape uh, won't be won't be on the air before she's gone back. Where are you headed? You're headed back east? Seattle and then back to Los Angeles. But they can online. I'm at www.alicerandall.com. Thank you. And there's a complete reader's guide. You can look at the sculptures in the book. You can have a link on to the original work okay. by Pushkin. So www.alicerandall.com. Yes. You got it. That's and you can easy. also email me, and I'll answer your emails personally. Oh. Thank you. Thank you, Alice. Thank you, Jennifer. It's a pleasure to being with you. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful tradition Pacifica. of cultural conversation. Yeah, Pacifica is always kick. I will see you next time you come with your next novel. Until then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture, drop the shadows out of sight. Bonjour. Salam. Mayam Longisar. Youth Radio. On KPFA FM. Yeah, that's the song.
Check us out every Saturday for the best in youth culture, music, and news. Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Bringing you community programming and always telling it like it is. It's history. 